This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock in Hayesville, North Carolina, and everywhere on the East Coast. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Another chilly one down here. I know there's uh, lots of rain in other parts of the country, but uh, not a bad morning here. I can't complain for January the 26th, 2023. Um. So if you're listening to the news report, I this every time I hear something about this guy, it absolutely slays me. Uh, this moron, this liar, this uh, I don't even know what other name to come up with for the guy, but scumbag. George Santos from New York. Now says that uh, the 500 grand that he sent, he loaned his campaign didn't come from him. Uh, folks, in, in case you didn't know, uh, you can't just take $500,000 from uh, the random guy off the street to fund your campaign. There, that's why we have election laws. And Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, is, of course, very hesitant to remove Santos because he needs every vote that he can get with his margin being so slim. And I mean, how can they? How can the other Republicans look at this guy and say we got to work with this guy? He hasn't told one thing that's true. His entire resume was fabricated. His work history, his uh, his uh, education history. Come to find out, Jesus, he was stealing money from a, a charity to take care of some guy's dog that needed surgery. Holy God! Now Kevin McCarthy has said if they find out that he violated election laws, they'll get him out. Well. He just made it easy for you. He just told you that the 500K didn't come from him. I mean, they got it. I mean, good God almighty. Unbelievable. Um, I got up this morning. Uh, I got up. My wife had to be to work at the crack of dawn. And uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll wake her up and then I'll roll over and go back to sleep. This morning I was not successful in doing that. So I, uh, I got up early, probably about, I don't know, about 5 o'clock in the morning. And I turn on the local news, not local news, it's the, the news, the local channels I get here are from Atlanta. I live in North Carolina, but I'm right on the border, and I don't know, it's some convoluted uh, thing they have with the TV stations based on where you are as to what local stations you can get. So all the local stations we get are from Atlanta, which is ridiculous, but be that as it may. The big story this morning, and, and I, I mean, thank God it wasn't like somebody else got shot in Atlanta, because that happens every damn day. Um, the big story this morning was there's a Whataburger opening in the metro Atlanta area in Woodstock. Uh, my wife and I actually go down there to do some shopping occasionally because we live in the sticks and to get anything, you got to drive a bit. But 
they're talking about that's the big story. And, you know, there was one that opened, I guess, a few months ago and the, the lines went on for miles. And so they the police are like, hey, this is going to be really bad. And, you know, uh, uh, it's going to be backed up and we're going to be keeping an eye on things. First of all, now, I've never eaten at a eaten at a Whataburger. It may be the best burger in the history of burgers, which, I, by the way, I doubt because I've had the best burger in the history of burgers from fast food. And that's an In-N-Out burger from California. Um. But be that as it may, if I don't care if it's the best burger in the world. I'm not sitting in a line in my car for an hour or more to get a damn burger at a fast food joint. I don't care. I Look, I mean, unless you're handing me a $1,000 bill along with my burger, I'm not getting in that line. That's crazy. That's, I never understood that fascination with, with things like that. You know, people that are willing to camp out overnight to get an iPhone. Um, the the big craze for, uh, I remember when the first Chick-fil-A opened in the state of Connecticut when my wife and I still lived up there. My God, you would have thought it was the second coming of Jesus, the way people were lining up for these things. And by the way, when I finally went to a Chick-fil-A, eh, it ain't that great. You know, people say that it's this great food. It's not that great, folks. I'll tell you right now, the chicken sandwich at Popeye's and the chicken sandwich at Kentucky Fried Chicken are way better than Chick-fil-A. Way better. I find it soggy. And then, and, and, and flavorless. So I don't, you know, I don't understand that. But, but to stand or to sit in my car in a line that goes miles to get a burger, that's just, I mean... Jesus, get a life. You want a burger that bad? Go home and make one. I mean, I love In-N-Out Burger. I mean, I've only been able to have them a few times in my life when I go out to California, which I make it a habit not to go to California any more than absolutely necessary. But I always go to In-N-Out. They're actually getting ready to expand the East Coast. They're going to be coming to Tennessee. They're going to be just a, a couple of hours from me. I'm excited about that, but I'll be damned if I'm sitting in a line in my car for a couple of hours. That's just insanity. Get a life. My Lord. And uh, before we get to sports, the last uh, news item we have this morning is uh, word came down yesterday that the teacher... Uh, Abigail Zwerner, who was shot by a six-year-old at her school in Newport News, Virginia, is going to be suing the school district. Uh, why? Basically, uh, because they didn't do anything. Because there were, come to find out, there were, not, there wasn't just, you know, we had heard that, that they had, there was, you know, they had some warnings. Well, we come to find out that they had like four opportunities to stop this thing from happening. Four. Or at least three, anyway, over the course of a few hours. They got warned by teachers and employees that, that the kid had a gun. Around 11.15, they said that uh, the kid had threatened to beat up another kid. Nothing happened. An hour later, a teacher went to an administrator and said that she had taken it upon herself to search the kid's backpack but the boy was out at recess, and they think that he had the gun in his pants at recess. 
And then right about after about 1 o'clock, so about 45 minutes later or so, another teacher told an administrator that there was a different student who was crying and fearful and said that this boy had shown him the gun during recess and threatened to shoot him if he told anybody. Guess what they did? Nothing. Another employee heard that the boy might have a gun and asked an administrator if he could search the kid, and they told him no. He said they told us to wait and, uh, until the school day was almost over. Just wait it out because the day's almost over. <laughs> Hour later, this teacher was shot. By the way, after she had texted a friend saying she had a bad feeling about something was going to happen. I hope she ends up owning this school district. I mean, it is insanity. This woman got shot in the chest and shot in the hand. She's already had uh, a, a couple of surgeries. She has have another one. She still has a bullet lodged in her chest. And then yesterday, the, uh, uh, the superintendent of schools in Newport News got fired. And uh, they gave him severance. He, he got a severance package of 500K, by the way. Two years of his current base salary. You know, and he'd been getting killed, you know, over the uh, by the parents and teachers since it happened. Look, here's the deal. He is ultimately responsible because he's a superintendent of schools. And there's no word, by the way, if anybody at that school had called the superintendent and said, what do we do? Because if they did, uh, I could definitely see why he would get fired. My question is, is, is there legally a chance that any of these people get, could get charged because they didn't do anything, that they were warned and, were, and then were told, told their people to stand down. It's just crazy. A six-year-old kid. You know, and then, of course, we have, you know, those, uh, a couple of shootings earlier this week in California. But we don't have a gun problem in this country, folks. No, we, no, no. You know, and I live in gun country down here uh, in the South. And I'm not anti-gun. I'm really not. Believe it or not. I grew up with guns. My father was a hunter. My father was a, a constable in town. My father had handguns and 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 shotguns and rifles in my house. I'm not anti-gun. I'm anti-idiot. And and I'm anti-semi-automatic uh, rifles. Nobody. Pardon me, but nobody. And I don't want to hear it. I've said it a million times on this show, and I'm going to keep saying it. No private citizen needs a semi-automatic rifle, period, the end end of discussion and I don't there is no argument that anybody could give me my neighbors could talk to their blue in the face and I'm not against them owning I don't you want to own a a handgun knock yourself out but nobody needs an assault style an an AR-15 style weapon nobody unless the Chinese or the Russians are invading and they start handing them out to citizens that's the only time we need those things They should be for the military and for the police, period. But we've this but it's gotten to the point in this country, and and I guess the parents of the uh, of the six year old purchased the gun legally, but again, why wasn't it locked up? Why wasn't it in a gun safe? 
You know, there, there needs to be accountability there as well. If you are a parent and one of your children gets a hold of one of your guns because you don't have them locked up, you need to get charged criminally. So we'll see what happens, but I, you know, I'm glad that this, this teacher is suing. I mean, I'm not, you know, I think we sue over too many things, but in a case like that, how can you not? Woman's lucky to be alive because a six-year-old brought a gun to school. Unbelievable. You know, and my, my, my daughter Emily is uh, working on her master's degree in early childhood education, and she wants to teach in schools. And she wants to teach young kids like kindergarten, first grade. And you figure that'd be the safe, <laughs> safest age to, to have, right? To teach. You know, it's not like going to high school and these kids are practically adults and God knows what's going to happen. No, these, these are, you know, five, six, seven-year-old kids. You figure you're going to be safe. So... Anyway, uh, I hope I hope she uh, well she'll win. They'll settle it out of court, and she'll she'll get millions, as she should. I mean, I don't know how that woman ever steps in a schoolroom again. How do you st- how do you step in a classroom after that? You got shot by a six year old. How do you ever feel safe teaching again? And I can only imagine the teachers in that school that didn't get shot. I mean, they got to be. I mean, my God. So I hope she uh, hope she wins a boatload. All right, we didn't uh, we didn't get to this yesterday, but uh, uh, because I rambled on as I'm doing again this morning. But uh, Bill O'Brien got hired as the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. They haven't had the official announcement yet, but you know how these things go. It's been announced uh, by everybody except the team officially. Um, great move. Look, this is a guy that's been with the Patriots before. He has NFL head coaching experience. He just came from an Alabama program where he was the offensive coordinator for two years. Uh, This is a guy who coached Tom Brady. This is a guy who is an offensive mind. Not somebody who, like Matt Matt Patricia, who was a defensive guy and a failed head coach. Look, when Bill O'Brien was a head coach with the Houston Texans, He did a hell of a job. I mean, this is a guy who got them in the playoffs four times, including a season um, when they had their quarterbacks were Brian Hoyer and Brock Osweiler, and he got them into the playoffs. So this is a guy that can work with Mac Jones. Now, he's also a guy that has a temper. They used to call him the teapot when he was with New England, and he had some pretty good uh, pretty good arguments with Tom Brady. But Tom Brady liked to be coached, and Mac Jones has been dying to be coached. It'll be interesting, however, because as we have seen, is Mac Jones has a temper. Look what he look at with his body language and uh, what he did last year when he was disgusted with what Matt Patricia was doing offensively. So we know that he's got a temper as well. So this could it could be explosive, <laughs> but it's going to be a hell of a lot better than the crap we've watched last year. Look, since Mac Jones became quarterback, the Patriots have not won a game when their opponents score 25 points or more. They are 0-12 in games when their opponents score 25 or more. Now, is that Mac Jones's fault? Is that the offensive coordinator's fault? Now, don't forget, part of this, the offensive coordinator at the time, 
for part of Mark, Mac Jones's tenure, is now coaching the Las Vegas Raiders. Right? So, you know, it, it, it wasn't just, it's not just on Matt Patricia. So is it Mac Jones? Is he the right guy or not? We're going to find out because if he is, Bill O'Brien will get the best out of him, I think. And there'll be an opportunity for this team to succeed. Look, O'Brien has a solid resume. Yeah, he got fired from the Texans. But he was there for six years, and they got in the playoffs in four out of those six years, and he got fired in 2020 after they started 0-4. You know, to get off to a slow start in pretty much any sport these days, and your leash is very small. You know, this, Think about that, right? He had gotten them in the playoffs four out of five years, but they start 0-4, and he gets fired. You'd think he'd earned the benefit of the doubt because if that was the case, Bill Belichick probably should have gotten fired this year. And look, there's been a lot of word, you know, a lot of rumbling coming out that the dysfunction on the Patriots was a lot worse than people thought it was. That it went very deep. And you begin to wonder if perhaps it is time for a regime change. I'm not saying Bill Belichick needs to get fired, but let's also recognize something. And and you know, and I'm not saying that their success was strictly because of Tom Brady. Bill Belichick did some remarkable things and made some great decisions as a head coach, but he still had Tom Brady, and he still had a lot better offensive weapons than they've got on that football team right now. But he hasn't done anything since Tom Brady left. So we're going to find out if Mac Jones is the guy or if Belichick miscalculated with Mac Jones and they took the wrong guy. You know, uh, hey, and look, I would not, I would not rule out the possibility. Now, I don't think that they should, but I would not rule out the possibility that the Patriots try to grab a quarterback this year. Now, I don't know what's going to. They're going to be like I think middle of the pack. But if one of those top three or four quarterbacks falls in the first round, I wonder if they might take a quarterback. I hope not because they need a receiver. They need an offense. They need some offensive line help. I think offensive line is probably going to be pick number one, and then after that, I would think it would be a wide receiver. But I also will tell you, it would not shock me. If there's already thoughts that Mac Jones isn't the guy and they start hedging their bets. We'll see. We'll see. Um, other coaching news around the NFL. Uh, Sean Payton had an interview with the Carolina this week. And the question now is, is that is he going to coach? Because he's had a few interviews, right? He's already interviewed uh, – or he's supposed to meet with the Cardinals today. He's already met with the Panthers. He's already met with Denver. There was supposed to be a second interview with Denver. That's been delayed. You begin to wonder if the price tag for getting Sean Payton is too high. Because, look, not only do you have to pay a guy who has been to the – who's a Super Bowl coach – but you have to give up compensation to the team 
to the New Orleans Saints if you sign him because Sean Payton is still getting paid by the Saints because he's under contract. He walked away while he was under contract. So if he wants to coach again, whether it's Carolina, whether it's Denver, whether it's Arizona, wherever, they're going to have to give up something. And the price tag that was being quoted early was rather high that what the Saints wanted back. So you begin to wonder if teams are kind of thinking about this again and saying, well, unless I'm hiring Sean Payton is going to guarantee me a Super Bowl, which, by the way, on any of these teams it's not, is it worth, A, the amount of salary I'd have to pay him, and B, the compensation that we would have to give up to get him? Even if they're desperate, there's no guarantees. Look, here's the other thing. Yes, Sean Payton had a lot of success with the Saints. But let's also recognize at the time they were having all that success, they had a great defense. They had, they had Drew Brees at quarterback. They had Alvin Kamara, who was unbelievable, who has really slipped the last couple of years. They had a healthy Michael Thomas most of the time. This team was loaded with talent on the offensive side to go along with that great defense. Well, much like the Patriots haven't done anything since Brady left, the Saints have struggled since Drew Brees left. Now they've had some other injuries. Kamara's been hurt. Thomas has been hurt again. And, you know, there's the, they don't have the depth that they had and their defense has been disappointing. But maybe there's some thought of, hey, if I've got to pay all this money and I've got to give compensation and maybe Sean Payton isn't the genius that everybody thought he was, you know, it was more about personnel than it was about the coach, maybe it's not worth it. And we could find Sean Payton back in the uh, the Fox booth this year. He supposedly loves his gig at Fox. So good for him. He, he might end up back there and, uh, you know, if he really likes it and, and, you know, yeah, he obviously wants to coach again or he wouldn't be going and talking to all these teams. But, you know, it may not be the time yet because right now the cost might be too high. And I, I can certainly understand that because if you're already a team that's struggling and the Saints are talking about, well, if you hire them, we want a, a first round pick this year and maybe a first or a second next year. You need those dra that draft capital. You can't afford to give that up just to hire a head coach. So, you again, I can't blame any owner or general manager that doesn't want to make a deal like that. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We've got a couple more things about football. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Thursday morning. Don't forget, coming up tomorrow, we've had a bunch of football talk this morning, but coming up tomorrow morning, uh, Dan Zampano will join us, as he does every Friday, to talk NFL football with the AFC and NFC Championship games this weekend. We'll know who is heading to the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. Um, before we talk, we've got a little bit on that. We'll talk about that in a second, but... Uh, uh, before that, uh, another coaching, uh, some other coaching news. Word out of Indianapolis is that the owner of the Colts, Jim Ursay, wants uh, Jeff Saturday, their interim head coach, to come back as the permanent head coach next season. Now, you remember the uh, the furor when Saturday got hired as the coach this year. This is a guy. Look, he was a hell of an NFL player, right? Um, 
This is a guy who played 14 years in the league. But he never coached outside of a few seasons of high school football, right? So he had no college coaching experience, no pro coaching experience. Coached for a few years in high school, and they handed him the reins to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, he won his first game, right? They won. Uh, they came back uh, to beat the Raiders in his debut. But then they finished the season 0-7, 4-12-1 this year. Now, look, it's not Jeff Saturday's fault that they didn't have enough talent and that they were trying to piece together the quarterback system, uh, uh, flip rotation with three guys that stink. I mean, you know, they got Matt Ryan from Atlanta, and they thought that maybe he had a little gas left in the tank, and he really showed that he didn't. Although he got benched a couple of times, and I thought he would have been better than what they were throwing out there. But, you know, he didn't have a quarterback, really. So that's not necessarily his fault. They're going to have decent draft picks this year, so they've got an opportunity to get better, but they're still going to have, you know, even if they draft good guys, I mean, they're still going to be young. Even if they draft a quarterback in the first round, you know, are you just going to throw them to the Wolves? So, uh, and the and the word is, is within the Colts organization, and Ursay's the owner, what he gets, he, he you know, what he wants, he gets. But he's getting a lot of pushback from the other people in the front office that they want them to bring in an established coach or, or at least an established assistant coach that maybe is going to get his first chance at being a head coach. Uh, look, they've still got other guys. They've still got a list of six or seven guys that they're talking to. But Ursay seems to indicate that he wants Jeff Saturday back. I Look, and, and you know, the, it's this isn't anything against Jeff Saturday. As a matter of fact, word is even the people in the front office love him. They said he's a great guy. He's just not equipped for the job. You know, he's a guy that would be better off being an assistant coach somewhere and kind of learning how to do it at the big league level instead of going from high school to the pros. You know, that would be like somebody who's a little league coach uh, taking over, you know, the University of Texas baseball team, one of the most storied franchises in the country. Good luck. <clears throat> Let alone try to coach in the major leagues with those personalities and the salaries and everything else. Look, he got out coached constantly. So I think it would be a mistake, but I, you know, a lot of people thought it was a mistake to give him the job on the interim basis in the first place, and they're probably not wrong. So we'll see. Um, but again, you know, Ursay owns the toy box, so he can take out whatever he wants out of there, and there's really nothing anybody can do about it. Uh, as far as the games go this weekend, uh, Patrick Mahomes says that uh, he is going to play. He said his ankle's good. Uh, he practiced yesterday, wanted to get out and test it out. Uh, when he gave a press conference, he walked out. There was no noticeable limp. I saw a video of it. He wasn't limping. He did not have a walking boot on his right foot. Um, so he's playing on Sunday. The question is, is how healthy is he? But if you remember, he got hurt back in, what was it, 2019 at the start of the season. And he still, you know, played the next week. Threw for 400 yards. And they won. Uh, and Andy Reid, his head coach, said he thinks that the sprain that he got in last week's game is less severe than the one he got a few years ago. So they think that uh, that he's going to be just fine. 
Now, in the NFC Championship game, Jalen Hurts has made no bones about the fact that he's still hurting. Um, he's got that shoulder issue. Uh, he said that uh, uh, he said it feels better, but he is still in pain. And he was lucky last week in that they blew out the Giants. So he only had to throw the ball 24 times. And he was, you know, look, he threw for 154 yards and a pair of touchdowns. You know, I think the concern more with Hurts is that his legs are a big part of it as well. And, yeah, if he's got a bad shoulder and he goes out and starts running the football and gets tackled and goes down on that shoulder again, that's a problem, you know. So, uh, But he's going to play. It's just that, you know, basically it sounds like he's at about 75 or 80% and they're just, they're just going to pray that he's going to be able to hold it together. And, look, we know the 49ers are not going to make it easy. They've got the best defense in football. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on this guy. And if I'm the 49ers, I'm going to make him beat me. He's going to have to beat me, whether it's with his legs or with his arm. I'm going to try to shut down everything else and make this guy who is probably playing at 75 or 80% beat me, which is kind of crazy to say considering that he's you know, on the short list to be the MVP this year along with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Jefferson and uh, I guess you could throw Josh Allen and Joe Burrow in there as well. But, you know, this is a guy who's an MVP candidate, and it seems kind of crazy to say I'm going to make him beat me, but we know he's not 100% healthy. So we'll see. Uh, the other thing is the 49ers have said that uh, uh, Charles Amenhu, their defensive lineman who was arrested this week on misdemeanor uh, domestic assault charges, is going to play this week if he's healthy. Uh, Kyle Shanahan met with the media yesterday and said that uh, they're just going to wait for the legal process to to resolve. He said, uh, uh, you know, the, the organization looked into it, and they said the legal process will take care of itself. We don't feel we should kick him off our team. <coughs> Look, you know, this is a, uh, you know, and, and the 49ers are going to get killed for this. They just are, you know. Um, this doesn't reach the level of the stuff that we heard about what Mike Clevenger did uh, with his girlfriend by, uh, you know, s- you know, slapping her around and throwing, you know, used chewing tobacco on their child. This is not that. It sounds like they just had an argument and he shoved her and she fell to the ground and called the cops. Still doesn't make it right. As I said yesterday, there is no excuse for a man to ever put his hands on a woman. So if you're the 49ers... Even if this is just misdemeanor, which it is, how can how can you let him play? Because it's it doesn't send the right message to his teammates, to the fans, and certainly not to women. And yeah, it may be a misdemeanor, and it may be a he said she said, perhaps. But where there's smoke, there's generally some fire. There's something that happened there. How can you not sit him this week? My two cents, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that would tell me that I'm wrong. But to me, this doesn't look good. It doesn't smell good. And I think it's a mistake for the 49ers to do this. You know, it's kind of like it would be a mistake for any Major League Baseball team to go out and sign Trevor Bauer after the mess that he got himself into 
when he got sued and arrested, and eventually the charges were dropped. But when you heard the details of what happened with that woman when he essentially uh, sounded like um, he raped her when she was basically asleep, uh, and, and they had uh, what was quote, was categorized as rough sex, which is he said she wanted, and she said, I didn't. And, you know, look, uh, again, guys, we got to do better. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know. I mean, we got six years old, six year old kids going into school with guns. We have guys that can't behave themselves every damn day. Somebody, you know, we were some famous person is getting accused of some kind of misconduct. It's just we got to do better. You know, and, and I sound like the, the million year old man, but God almighty, is, is, has our society uh just deteriorated to the point where it just does where people have become numb to this, you know, because there are going to be people on social media and on television and on radio. They're going to say that, you know, the 49ers are justified in letting this guy play. Uh, you know, it, it was just it was just a little shove. There's no such thing as just a little shove when you are a 300 pound plus professional football player laying your hands on a woman. There is no defense for that. I don't care whether it was a shove, whether it was a slap, whether it was sticking your finger in her chest. There is no excuse for a man to put his hands on a woman. So it's just a bad look for the NFL, for the 49ers, just as it was for the Dodgers and Major League Baseball with what went on with Trevor Bauer and what is going on now with Mike Clevenger. It is just enough it's and and those are just the major ones we hear you know then we hear about all these minor ones that happen all the time uh, so uh I, I anyway i think it's a mistake for the 49ers but you know the, now they may get bailed out here because he got hurt last week and he was listed as day-to-day anyway he actually left the game last week with an injury ended up coming back but he is not 100 percent. so uh if they, I mean, they they have the easy way out. He's not healthy. That's the easy way out. You're not healthy enough. Just sit down. Seems to me that would be that would be the smart thing to do, don't you? But nobody ever said that uh, that professional sports teams make sense, you know, because it's all about the dollar and it's all about getting to the Super Bowl, right? And if the 49ers get to the Super Bowl, they're probably thinking that the PR hit they take for letting this guy play if he helps them if he gets some big sack in the game and he's the reason that they get to the Super Bowl they'll tell you that the PR hit was worth it 43 minutes past the hour back in a minute you're listening to the wake-up call on sports country It is 45 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning. So I watched the UConn men's basketball game last night. It was on FS1, so I could get it down here in North Carolina. Um, And, uh, look, UConn came into this game struggling. They'd lost five out of seven, and they were back to 500 in the Big East. And uh, they figured this was a good chance to get things right. Now, they were playing a very, very good Xavier team. It was ranked 13th in the country, team that had beaten UConn already. 
Um, but they were back home. They were in Gamble. UConn had won 17 games in a row in Gamble Pavilion. Everybody was optimistic. Here we go. It's time to turn the uh, the page. Then you looked up, and it was 9 nothing Xavier, before you could blink. UConn didn't score for the first three and a half minutes of the game. They kept jacking up three-pointers. Every time they got the ball, they'd come down, and it was clank, clank, clank. I was screaming at my television. To the point where my wife looked at me and said, they can't hear you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's what it's what I do. It's what a lot of sports fans do. But, you know, look, you've got one of the best inside players in the Big East in Adama Sanogo. You've got some guys that are athletic, that can take the ball off the dribble, go to the basket. I kept saying, you've got to take the ball into the paint. You've got to work the ball in the paint. You've got to stop it. Stop looking for the threes every time down the floor. UConn finally uh, has to call a timeout. Down 9 nothing, So they call a timeout. What happens? The next three trips down the floor, they go inside. Guess what happens? They score. Wow. So I looked at my wife. I said, see, I'm a genius. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and they showed Danny Hurley in the, in the, uh, in the huddle, and he was like, look. Stop looking for that for, as the first option. Let's let's work it inside, and you know, then you know if it works and, and and it's part of the flow, let's do that. But we're we're looking for the three too quick. Hey, no kidding. You know, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. I mean, you know, the fact that I coached high school and college basketball, you know, probably probably just makes me uh, angrier when I when I yell at the television because it's the same kind of stuff that. You know, I did back in the day. Of course, I'm so old. When I started coaching basketball, there was no three-point shot. That tells you how old I am. Um, but look, I, I give UConn credit for this. They got down. They were down 15 at the half. They made a hell of a run in the second half. I'll give them credit for that. Um, but that's all I'm going to give them credit for because here's the thing. You know, it's great that Jordan Hawkins – had 28 points, 26 of them in the second half. Well, if you hadn't gone 0 for 5 from three-point range or or, or one, uh, 0 for 5, yeah, 0 for 5, I think, in the first half from three-point range, maybe, you know, maybe the game would have turned out a little bit differently. UConn was 1 for 13. 1 for 13 from three in the first half, right? I mean, <coughs> not for nothing. But when you've missed your first five or six, it's time to stop. It was so bad, they even went to the bench. And this was what killed me. <clears throat> you go to the bench, and they bring in Joey Calcaterra, who had transferred to UConn, a graduate transfer from the University of San Diego. First time he touches the ball, what does he do? Jacks a three. Guess what happens? Clank. It's just, uh, But it's not just that. It's that UConn has somehow forgotten how to play defense. Guys are constantly being left open. They're getting beat off the dribble. You know, and Danny Hurley prides himself on being a defensive coach. Xavier shot 53% from the field in that game last night. In UConn's building. That can't happen. So now UConn has lost... Six of eight. They went from number two in the country 
to number 19, and when the poll comes out on Monday, they won't even be ranked in the top 25. And some of the reason that they were ranked so high is they took advantage of a very soft schedule early, and they looked like uh, the Harlem Globetrotters playing the uh, – uh, what the hell was it? The Washington, whatever the hell their name was that they used to play. The Washington Generals, who they used to play all the time uh, and beat the crap out of. That's what they look like against that soft schedule. But then they get into the meat of the schedule, and they're now below 500 in the Big East. Now, the Big East is a – look, it's really, really good. Don't get me wrong. But UConn looks lost right now on both ends of the floor. And something tells me – and they've got to buy the rest of the week. They don't play again until next Tuesday. It's coming at the right time. And something tells me that practice for the next few days is going to be rather intense in stores, Connecticut. UConn women play tonight. Should be a lot of fun. I don't know really what to expect. They're playing Tennessee. Um, it is the 26th all-time meeting between these two schools. Four of those games uh, were for the national championship. UConn leads the series 16-9, to goes all the way back to 1995. You could argue it's the greatest rivalry in women's college basketball. UConn's 18-2. and We know how shorthanded they are. Um, you know, uh, as Fudd's still going to be out with that knee, it looks like. We, you know, we already know they lost Paige Beckers and Ice Brady for the year. I mean, this team should be running away and hiding with the, against everybody with the exception maybe of South Carolina. But they've been so hurt, and it's one after another. It's crazy. Caroline Ducharme is still out with the concussion symptoms, that something she suffered back in December. We're now at the end of January, and she still hasn't been able to play. Game is in Tennessee, so it'll be interesting. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. It's on ESPN, 8 o'clock tonight, game in Knoxville, Tennessee, so that'll, that'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, a couple other baseball notes. Uh, the Mets signed uh, former Red Sox outfielder Tommy Pham. It's just a one-year, $6 million deal. Of course, Pham came over to the Red Sox uh, from Cincinnati last year. Look, he did a pretty good job for the Red Sox considering, you know, the, the train wreck that that team was last year. Uh, but he gets a $1 million signing bonus and a $5 million salary. You know, I mean, in this, you know, he's just a placeholder for the Mets. I mean, look, he's like the lowest paid guy <laughs> practically on the team. You know, uh, they're spending upwards of $350 million this year. So six mil to Tommy Pham is like walking around money for Steve Cohen, their their owner. Uh, Japan announced its uh, the rest of its WBC team. I'm really looking forward to the WBC this year. Um, they didn't have it because of the pandemic last time. Um, but it starts in uh, early May, I mean early May, early March, and uh, Japan has added Lars Nootbaar of the St. Louis Cardinals to their team. He actually becomes the first to play for Japan in the WBC who qualified just because of his ancestry. He's from the United States. Now, his mom is Japanese. And so that's why he is able to play. He doesn't even speak Japanese, but they've, they've added him to the team. Uh, they have also added uh, new Red Sox left fielder Masataka Yoshida. Um, so most of the players on the Japan team you're not going to know. Of course, they, they have some big names like Yu Darvish, uh, Shohei Otani, of course, and uh, uh, Seiya Suzuki, who played for the Chicago Cubs last year. I think they have five guys that play in, in the majors. The rest of them are all in the Japanese league. So uh, some of them will probably find their way to, 
to uh, the major leagues eventually. Uh, but Lars Nootbaar of the St. Louis Cardinals. What a great name, by the way. He's, uh, he's not a full-time player for the Cards, but a uh, uh, pretty talented outfielder. So uh, they're, they're going to bring him in over. That's kind of cool. Uh, also saw that uh, Artie Moreno has decided not to sell the Los Angeles Angels. A lot of people think that that means that they are going to trade Shohei Otani because um, Moreno's not going to want to pay him. Now, they were offered the highest price in baseball history to sell. Moreno had put the team on the market. He got a ridiculous price to sell, and he decided to, to say no. Otani's contract is up this year in the two-way player. They're, they're saying that the deal for next year could be as high as $500 million. It's more likely going to be something like probably 450 over 10 years. But most people don't think that Artie Moreno is going to pay that. So the best player on the Angels that's not named Mike Trout will probably be walking next year. So that leads to a very real possibility that come the trade deadline this year, if they haven't signed Otani to an extension, they're going to trade him. And he'll be playing somewhere else the second half of the season and helping somebody else get into the playoffs. And, And look, I know what a great hitter he is. I know what a great pitcher he is. Do I think he is worth $450 million a year over 10 years? And I say no, and I'll tell you why I say no. He's a designated hitter. He can't play the outfield. I mean, he probably still could, but because of the Tommy John surgery, they don't want to put that strain on his arm, so he's only DHing. You're going to tell me that you're going to pay that kind of money for a guy that, yeah, he can hit, and yeah, he can pitch, but he can't play the field at all, and, and so that's, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a special talent. Don't get me wrong. But if he was still playing right field and pitching, then it makes it much more attractive to me. But we'll see. But he could be on the move um, by the end by by July. Uh, hey, guess whose birthday it is today? Bob Euchre is eighty nine years old today. He, you know he's still broadcasting games for the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, just as a part time on the radio now. Doesn't do a full time schedule, but he is eighty nine years old today. One of the great characters, not just in in baseball, but one of the great characters. Um, in sports and in this country. Well, he's, he, this guy is hysterical. He really is. He's great. Uh, and uh, one passing to announce before uh, we get out of here, the Lloyd Morissette, who started Sesame Street, uh, one of the co-founders of Sesame Street, passed away yesterday at the age of 93. It's a hell of a run. He was born in 1929, started Sesame Street uh, uh, with uh, a, a classmate from Harvard University, uh, Joan Cooney, and uh, worked with a, a developmental psychologist. And, of course, Jim Henson got on board to create all the uh, the Muppets for them. But uh, the first episode of Sesame Street aired in 1969, and Lloyd Morissette, who was one of the founders of the Children's Television Workshop, passed away this week at the age of 93. That's going to do it for us here today. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Dan Zampano will join us to talk NFL football. We get out of here this morning with a song by Wilson Fairchild. Uh, these two guys uh, are actually sons of two of the members of the Statler Brothers, one of the great uh, uh, country groups from the 70s, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, this is called Country On. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.